0: i uh-huh. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to Dime Dropper's Playoff Recaps for the 2021 NBA Playoffs. This time, it's the second round. Before we get started, please make sure to subscribe on YouTube at Dime Dropper Podcast, Apple Podcast. Follow us on Spotify and, of course, to follow us on all social media platforms at Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Dime Dropper Pod. I just posted a TikTok today. It was just a video from the vlog that is out on my channel for Game 7. If you have not seen it yet, go watch it. There's some great footage in there, including the finishing touches on what was a fantastic series. The best series of the first round, I'd say. But I know some people would go with that Blazers Nuggets series, which I still haven't given you guys the full recap of, you know, what I think of the Blazers elimination and the truth be told, I haven't watched game six yet. So the next time you see me probably tomorrow, actually, no, definitely tomorrow night after the Clipper game ends, I will be talking about the Nuggets and Blazers probably as well. So just give me a little chance with that because I want to I want to harp on the Blazers because there's going to be a lot of talk about Dame this summer and what the next step is for that team. So for tonight's recap, we're going to talk about the Bucks nets first two games. I didn't talk about their first game, so I'm going to talk about them both together. And they kind of, you know, there was a lot of similarities between the two games. And then I'm going to talk about the Suns just defeating the Nuggets just now. A huge win for the Phoenix Suns, again, starting out their series with a dub. And then I'll briefly go over the Clippers and the Mavs. Anything I didn't say, either on Twitter or in the in the vlog itself, I'll talk about Clippers-Mavs and we'll preview the Jazz series but here we are, you know, live in Los Angeles, as usual, not Cancun, where the Lakers and the Miami Heat are enjoying some beach volleyball at night. Um, so, <laughs> so let's get to it. Let's start with the Bucks and the Nets, right? So you guys remember you were asking me about this series. I said it was going to be Nets and 7. But the injury to James Harden, I figured maybe that would change some things in favor of Milwaukee. I couldn't have been more wrong. In the first game after he went down, KD and Kyrie just started taking over the game. And Blake Griffin, my guy, BG, my man, Blake, was throwing himself all over the place like it was 2015. It was incredible. And that's why Clipper fans love Blake so much. It's not just because of the electrifying dunks, it's not just because he was a Clipper from the day he was drafted. It's because he would make those plays that got the crowd going. I remember being at so many games where Blake Griffin would throw his body out there. And let's I'm going to be real with you. Blake Griffin works hard, but he's not no crazy workhorse the whole game. He just has moments, though, where he'll just throw himself on the court. And those moments can energize a team. They can change momentum. And you know why I think he did that? Not just because it's playoff basketball. Because he didn't do it in the first round against Boston. In fact, he looked pretty terrible against Boston at various points of the series. It's because he was getting more shots. He was touching the ball more. He was getting open looks. And I just think that this team, it makes me so angry because I actually would have really liked, and I was so looking forward. Remember, they were a dime-dropper team for a reason in the beginning of the season. I wanted to watch Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant take on the league together, just like LeBron and Kyrie Irving with a good supporting cast, with LeVert, with Jared Allen. But They had to go ruin everything by getting James Harden. And that makes me hate them. And that makes the league, you know, that makes them an enemy to the league, in my opinion. Because they're the most dominant super team in the in the league right now. And they're, they're, and, they're, and they're in a situation right now where if they don't win the championship, it's an embarrassment, in my opinion. Even though they've only played seven games together in the regular season. I just think, as I've said so many times, there are no great teams in this league right now. Like, the Lakers win healthy, maybe. And then the Nets. I think everybody else is a good team. You know what I'm saying? Because even the Jazz, the best team in the regular season... They have one star, and we don't even know if he's a superstar. He's going to be, Donovan Mitchell. But right now he's a star, and Rudy Gobert is a star. A star who, quite frankly, in the playoffs, in the past, has looked, you know, suspect. Let's put it that way. But it makes me so angry because I know that Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are capable of going to a championship level and, and being a contender with the two of them. So to see, you know, it's just annoying because the ball moves so much better without Harden. Because have an, that's just another guy that's going to pick and roll. And when he gets a switch, he's going to iso and dribble, 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 dribble. You know how it goes. Tween, cross, tween. Without him. And Kevin Durant is just such an easy player to play with. That's why he fits so seamlessly wherever he goes. Because he doesn't hold the ball too long. He moves the ball. He moves without it. And he operates from to- so many different spots on the court. Which makes him very easy to play with. Kyrie Irving, not as much. Except for when he's a number two guy like he is now. And he's out there just to score, not lead a team, not be a floor general like he was asked to be in Boston. He's elite, as elite as it comes. Because those two, man, they're unguardable. Even for guys like Drew Holiday, Giannis, and Chris Middleton, who contained your Jimmy Butler's, who contained your Tyler Heroes, this is a whole different caliber of skill here that we're dealing with with Kyrie and Kevin. And they are—they just make it look so easy. So you know, the Nets clap them, the, you know, clap them, and you know, you figure that Bucks are going to respond with something better tonight in Game Two. As pathetic a performance as I could have imagined. Almost as bad as the Heat's performance in game two against them. I mean, the way that they came out, rushing every possession, chucking up the first look they got, that wasn't even a good look. Semi contested, just not working the ball around at all. Particularly Chris Middleton, who started out 0 of 7, and then he ended the game 7 of 13. I mean, cool. Good for you, Chris. You're, you're the guy that I've been saying isn't the problem with this team. You're good enough to be a second guy if Giannis develops into a, that first guy that can lead a team to a championship. Well, right now, I'm looking wrong. Because that pitiful start to the game from Chris Middleton. And then, you know, we've got Giannis. He can't even post up Blake? Like, he can't even score on Blake in the post? Blake, who... Is not a horrendous defender, but by no means is he elite. Like this is a guy I watched him for, <laughs> for eight and a half years on my team. He would get dogged by Zach Randolph and like certain guys, like that. He's strong, but if you have the right mix of skill and strength in the post, he ain't nothing special to deal with. And Giannis is out here losing the ball. He's out here missing jumpers. I mean. It was it was pretty impressive from Blake, I have to say, but more disappointing in Giannis and just the way that these Bucks started rushing possessions, especially Chris Middleton who had the worst plus minus of anyone in the game, minus 30. I mean, he was just it was so rushed. And then Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant are just in their bag from the beginning of the game, especially Kyrie, just dancing around, you know, scoring. And another thing about Kyrie, it's just like Kevin, he can score from everywhere on the court. He's so comfortable in the mid-range area. He's so comfortable with floaters with either hand. I mean, he has counters to his counters. Like, <laughs> he'll cross over, you jump that way, he'll go back the other way. Then he'll step back. Like, He's just got answers to everything. Sometimes he can dance a little too much. Sometimes he can, you know, for example, he sometimes will overcomplicate things. Like there was one position in the first quarter where he had a wide open layup with his right hand on the right side. And he switched to the left just to make it look a little fancy and Giannis pinned him. And that just switching hands gave Giannis that half a second to make up the ground. But regardless, the ground that the Bucks couldn't make up was their deficit that they put himself in the first quarter. And Joe Harris, you know, Blake, Bruce Brown... All these guys are making shots. Even Shamit came in and started making shots. And right now, this Nets team is brimming with confidence. Their ball movement is so much better without Harden. It's just not even funny. It's so much more enjoyable to watch them play. And I would just love it if this was their team. And KD with his double crossovers and just Giannis, who has played great defense against Jimmy Butler. I mean, he is helpless out there against KD one-on-one. And then, you know, on the screen, you start showing Durant more attention, you start showing Kyrie more attention. They make the pass, and this thing about Kevin, his passing ability is underrated. He's seven feet tall. He can see over the defense. He can see over hedge and recover. You throw two guys at him, he makes the pass. Blake Griffin is very comfortable in four-on-three settings. He used to do it with DeAndre Jordan and find him for lobs all the time. He's finding Joe Harris in that corner spot. He's knocking down threes all day. And Joe Harris was even, you know, coming off the three-point line and finishing reverse layups. He was five of twelve from the field. Three of seven from three and at thirteen points. So thirteen points from Joe Harris. Then you get 13 points from Bruce Brown, who got three offensive rebounds as well. Six total. Four assists, hitting one-handed floaters. And you know, the Bucks were in such panic mode. They started going into a zone. And then they, they started carving that apart. Like they were just they were and this is the second postseason in a row here where Mike Budenholzer. Needs to be held accountable for the decisions he makes, the way he coaches his team. They were not prepared. This was Ty Lue in the Mavs series. Even worse, maybe they were not prepared. They had they had no answers for anything. Their offense is so stupid. The Bucks basketball IQ is down the toilet. You know, they they their dominant or their advantage in this series, as Shaq said, is with their size. You know, they gotta pound the ball into Lopez into Giannis in the post. And there were times where they were getting the ball to Lopez, and, you know, I thought he made some nice jump hooks here and there, but not enough, you know? Kevin Durant did a really good job on him, I'll say. For certain possessions, KD was getting physical. I mean, here's the thing, though. Jeff Van Gundy talks about this all the time, and I couldn't agree more with it. In this modern NBA, size at times can be punished. They don't give the big guys posting up or anyone posting up the same benefits they give a hand check on the perimeter. It's very frustrating. And it makes it so that teams with perimeter guys have such an advantage when they want to officiate it that way. And I'm not saying the officiating cost the Bucks the game, but I do think there were times when the Nuts were making their run that the Bucks just didn't get calls that like they, they deserved. That you know Brooke and Giannis were battling in the post and they didn't get much. And I think that when you ref a game that way, it can be very advantageous to a team like Brooklyn. And I hope that that changes. I hope that the Nets or the Bucks will get rewarded. But they weren't going, pounding it inside enough. Quite frankly, they get baited into so many threes. And they just aren't hitting right now. I mean, yeah, they didn't even shoot 30 threes today. They kind of chilled in the second half. And it doesn't really matter. They were just out of the game. 8 of 27 from 3 for the Bucks. The only person that shot, like, remotely solid from there was, I guess, Brooke Lopez, 2 of 3. Drew Holiday, 1 of 2 from 3. And then Bryn Forbes, 2 of 4. But overall... They were just outworked, out-hustled, they were intimidated, they were rattled, they were rushing, panicking. And you know what I noticed they were panicking? When Giannis started dribbling the ball up the court and going back to what we saw in the bubble. And exactly what we said was the difference in the last series against Miami. The Bucks did so much better with Holiday running the point and Giannis setting screens. And again today, when they start panicking, they revert to Giannis bringing the ball up the court and trying to charge into guys with his halfback dive. I mean, it's mindless basketball. It's just not what works. That Giannis charging down the middle shit will work against your regular season teams with no interior defense. The Nets, they're in a championship charge here. They're going to try to win it all. They're not going to just let Giannis just charge in. Blake Griffin is strong. He's backing up on Giannis, daring him to shoot. And this guy Giannis can't even make a mid-range jump shot. It seems as though I may have overestimated Giannis' improvement in that first series. Because now that he's playing against a real team, no offense to the Heat fans, a real team this year with aspirations to win the championship and the talent to boot, he is looking, again, exposed. And I'm not saying this all on Giannis. A lot of it's on Bud Middleton especially. He's been the most disappointing player in this entire series so far. I mean, let's look at his stat line tonight. I already said the plus minus was minus 30. He finished with 17 points on 7 of 20 from the field. That's 35%. 3 of 8 from 3. And let me also tell you this. The Bucks got to the line 9 times. 4 of 9. You think you're going to beat the Nets in a playoff game on the road when you only shoot nine free throws and their biggest weakness is interior defense? Nine times? Yeah, I, I get it. Nikki Claxton is a good, you know, a good alternative for DeAndre Jordan, somebody who's athletic and lively. He'll block some shots. He had a block tonight. He had four points, four boards off the bench. That's not excusable. He only's playing fourteen minutes. They're running with Blake Griffin out there at the five for the majority of the game, or KD at the five, what have you, and to only get nine free throw attempts. And then Giannis shot uh, seven of those free throws and made two of them. So Giannis finished with eighteen and eleven. That's not gonna cut it. His efficient field goal, yeah, eight of fifteen because he shoots easy shots, like just terrible, just terrible overall. From Milwaukee, just mindless basketball. They need to really change up and go back to what they were doing against Miami offensively. And that is, and no, more so in this series. They can't rely on the three-ball. They gotta pound. If, if KD's guarding Brooke Lopez, just feed him the ball and see if he can get him in foul trouble. Put pressure on him. I know Brooke Lopez is not the Brooke Lopez he was in Brooklyn. I understand. But you, what other what other choices do you have? You cannot beat this team in a three-point shootout. You can't or a jump shooting game. You cannot. No team in the league is going to be able to do it. You can't do it. And I'm going to say this though. They could try to put Giannis at the 5 and try to switch everything themselves, but the problem with switching everything on the Nets is nobody can guard Durant and Kyrie one-on-one in the league in the world on the planet. So you can switch everything all you want. There's no one-on-one matchup for them. So it's you're screwed. You're screwed. It's just nothing you can do. You have to just try play your best defense. So, whatever. Let's read the lines for the Nets because they just completely ran away with it. Kyrie Irving, 22 points, 9 of 17 from the field, 4 of 8 from 3. And then Kevin was just, guys, I'm going to tell you this right now. It looks like he's still the best player in the NBA like he was in 2019. And we just had a year off and LeBron took that mantle back. But shit, if we're being quite honest... KD may have been the best player in the league for a couple years now. But because he was on the Warriors, we didn't get to see him put in a situation that LeBron was. But his confidence is higher than it's ever been now because he's older and more battle-tested. Battle-tested. But, I mean, I can tell KD studies film. Because the way he... How... You know, he doesn't overdo anything. And that's the main key. When, when Will came on the podcast in our Dime Dropper featuring episode and talked about... By the way, if you guys haven't watched my episode with Will Johnson from Oregon... um. He trained with, you know, trained with a bunch of NBA. I mean, played with Peyton Pritchard, Bull Bull, Troy Brown Jr., trained with Kuzma. His grandpa's the Marcus Johnson of the Milwaukee Bucks. Number retired, should be in the Hall of Fame. Go listen to what he said about, you know, the people overdoing it. And uh, players in the past, that was their thing, is, you know, never overcomplicating things. And Kevin Durant is straight out of that mold of never overcomplicating things. And it's easy when you're seven feet tall and can shoot the ball like that. I mean... Kevin Durant, right, I'm not going to say he's the best player in the league, definitively. But right now he is looking like that, alongside Kawhi. I think those two really stand above the rest. i love Steph Curry, but he's just not big enough. And his main thing is being a scorer, and he's a 6'3 guy. So to me, there is some sort of limitation to that, in terms of guarding him. Like, for example, you you think Dylan Brooks can contain Kevin Durant? Like, at all? He can't. He can try his best. He can't. Same with Kawhi, quite frankly, because he's big. But anyway, KD, yeah, he's just playing amazing. And you know what this is doing right now? This is strengthening his legacy right now. Seeing games without Harden, this is a uh, two-star effort with a bunch of role players, and this is what you want to see. So I like what I'm seeing from Kevin right now. It's showing what we wanted to see all season. And the thing is, he was able to cruise by missing so many games and being ready for this playoffs while James Harden did the dirty work, and now he's the one injured. So that's the part where I'm just like, not fucking with it. But anyway, KD, 32 points, 12 of 18 from the field. That's 66%. 4 of 6 from 3, 66% from 3. Unbelievable. 32 points, 6 assists, 4 rebounds for Kevin. Drew Holiday only had 13 points, but he shot well. 6 of 10. And the net, it's a must win for the Bucks next next game at the Pfizer Forum, and they better do it. They have to. They're not going to go down 3-0, are they? But anyway, let's talk about the Suns and their Nuggets. So, I got the Suns in 6 in this series, but I don't think it's going to be easy, right? And in the beginning of the game, somebody that caught my eye was Facu. Facundo Campaso, He was playing really well. Uh, he's, a, he's a crafty little motherfucker. And I've talked about him on this show before, but... Um, he has great instincts. He's a foreign player, which doesn't surprise me. If you watch my main video series, Is the NBA Getting Better and Better? I talked about the fundamentals being lost in America and how the international players come in with a little more basketball IQ, a little bit more thinking of the game and fundamentals. And Facundo is one of those guys. I mean, he was getting to the rim. He was – uh, so when the, 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 the Nuggets had some initial success tonight in their hedge and recover defense. The Nuggets always do hedge and recover because they can't switch um, – Jokic onto, guard, onto guards, and their drop coverage is just stupid against certain people. Because when you can't play real help defense, drop coverage is like you—you got your guard gets over the screen and your big man is just sagging. So you're basically, he has a downhill lane to go, uh, you know, he has downhill freedom to go to the basket. So the Nuggets hedge and recover to try to get the ball out of the ball handler's hands and everybody's ready for that next pass. And Compasso and certain guys, Aaron Gordon, did a really good job of, causing turnovers on Devin Booker in that first half. He had like four turnovers in the first half. He finished with five turnovers, so he really cleaned it up. He really cleaned it up, but I thought the the Nuggets got some initial success with that. But I really, really enjoyed the big man battle that we saw tonight between Aiden and, and Jokic. And you know what? I've been watching Jokic, I'm sorry, Aiden all season long. We've been talking about it all season if you've been watching my channel the Suns were a dime dropper team. And I talked about how Jokic, I mean, Aiden can be a little bit soft, a little bit timid. But in this playoffs, he's played, a, he's played like the DeAndre Aiden I thought that we were getting in the NBA coming out of Arizona. He is looking strong. He is hitting his mid-range. He's shooting with confidence. He's shooting that jump hook with confidence. You know, he's running down the floor, going right to the basket. I love it. Jokic does it too. And this is a sign of a great big that knows what to do. You know, and if you're in transition and you got anybody other than your center matchup on you, You go right down to that restricted area and you call for that ball. Chris Paul will find you. Quick turn layup. Jokic got a couple times. He got it a couple times against smaller guys in the Suns in that first half. But Aiden did the same thing as well. And I thought that in the beginning, the Suns were rushing their shots a lot. A couple quick threes, just that adrenaline flowing. You know, that stadium is packed. This is the second round. They haven't been there in a while. But Jay Crowder made some tough shots all night when guys were just like, Closing out hard and like they weren't even open threes like they were off the catch But the guys were there with a good contest and he was still hitting it and then um Mikhail bridges also hitting shots and he's his corner specialist I mean if he on 2k, I don't know if he's got that badge right now They got to give him that corner specialist badge because bro is knocking down his three his corner three is money And jay crowder and then they kept him in the game because chris paul he got up to a great start with his passing but he couldn't hit in the beginning of the game. And, you know, sometimes that shoulder like, could be bother- bothering him with long-distance shots. But I thought it was a good first quarter overall. Game was tied at 28. Maga Porter Jr. got off to a solid start shooting the ball. Second quarter, a lot more of the same, even. A little game of runs. The Nuggets would start each quarter with some, with some good intensity and go up by, like, five, six points. And the Suns would respond. Uh, I thought that Torrey Craig gave some good lift for the Suns off the bench today. You know, he hit two threes. And one of them was not easy at all. Top of the key, hand in his face. He had nine points on 3 of 7 from the field and 2 of 5 from 3 to go along with eight rebounds as well. But I thought that Booker just started settling in in that second quarter. I thought that he was getting into that mid-range area and knocking down some shots. Uh, Chris Paul was making great passes. But I thought for the Nuggets, I thought Paul Millsap gave him a decent lift in that first half as well. Nine points, four of six. And I liked how... And I actually was impressed by this. Aaron Gordon had one of the better games I'd seen from him offensively. They were going at Devin Booker in the post and trying to use Aaron Gordon's size advantage to take advantage of Book. And they actually did a good job. He was scoring. He even hit one turnaround over his right shoulder where I've seen him hit him occasionally. There's no consistency to it. But I saw him hit one. I was like, okay, Aaron Gordon. And he was, you know, getting getting to the line a bit. Actually, no, he only got to the line once, but... He had 18 points and four boards. And usually if Aaron Gordon has 18 points on 8 of 14 from the field, you'd think that if you're a Nuggets fan, you're feeling pretty good about the game. But I thought the second half is when things started changing. And the Nuggets were up by nine points in the third quarter. They started out good. Jokic was firing, but Jokic was stuck on 22 points. After that, the game totally changed. And it started with Mikhail Bridges making threes, but it really started for me... With Devin Booker making better reads in that pick and roll. When the hedge and recover defense is run successfully, they take away the first available pass, which is the pass over the top usually. They make you throw the cross-court pass because I always say this when I coach teams and I coach zones, you force the team to throw the cross-court pass so your defense has time to get over to that pass. Devin Booker made some nice passes. One of them he just slang it, he was just slang it across half, like across the court like LeBron. So McKillbridge is in that left corner for a three. And after that, you know, they're taking away the corners. They, he makes a pass over the top to Aiden. Aiden goes to Jay Crowder in the corner. He hit, they hit a three, and the floodgates open. And you know what carried that Suns team? The Suns crowd. Shout out to the Suns fans at the U.S. Airway Center. I know right now it doesn't have a name, but I, when I went there, it was the U.S. Airways Center, so I'm going to call it that. Um, or America, West Arena for some people. But... That Suns crowd brought the electricity to the game. And that, that momentum just continued and continued. And Devin Booker made a three. And then Jay Crowder had a four-point play. And then the Nuggets just kept shooting themselves out the game. And I thought Jokic was really disappointing in the second half. And I thought that Aiden just did a really good job. And I thought DeAndre Aiden did a great job on pick and rolls too and drop coverage and was able to switch, show on guards, did a really good job. And you know who was really shooting him out the game? I saw my boy Lake Show tweet about it on Twitter. Shout out to Lake Show in the chat right now. Talking about Michael Porter Jr.'s greatest strength is his ability to make tough shots. But his greatest weakness is that he falls in love with these terrible shots and just keeps on chucking. Just keep chucking. Just keep chucking. And that's all he did. And he still shot the ball well from the field. 6 of 13, 3 of 8 from 3. 15 points. The stat line won't show you. That dude was chucking him out the game. But. I wasn't really looking at this game from a Nuggets perspective. I think the Suns, this is on the onus of, of Phoenix to win this series because there's no Jamal Murray. The Suns need to win. This is, and you know what's crazy to think about, guys? Crazy to think about. Who would have ever thought that Chris Paul's potentially best chance to get to the finals would be with the Suns in year 16 of his career? You know, we had 2015. That was a great chance for us. To go to, the, to go to the finals. But we still had the Warriors. And then we had 2018. But we still had the Warriors. There is no Warriors. If they beat this Nuggets team, it's Clippers or Jazz. And Chris Paul has an opportunity to make the finals. He's got to get it done here. He's got to get it done here. Because I don't think... If, if he doesn't get it done here, he won't win it unless he goes just dick ride, third option on some super team type of nonsense. Um I at least I think so. Because here's the thing, man, you know the Suns are getting better, but there's the thing, there's going to be other teams that make moves. Who knows what LeBron's team is going to look like next year? You got to something I've learned as a Clipper fan, man, you don't get that many chances with a certain team. You got to take advantage of it. And tonight the Suns did. And they start out the series 1-0, a final score of 122 to 105. Mikhail Bridges, by the way. He was just phenomenal. He does what he does best, moving without the ball, making threes, making the extra pass when need be, and he was also finishing in transition. And he also made some mid-ranges tonight. He's shown signs of that this season where he can sometimes, off the catch, when somebody closes out too hard, they run him off the line. But he has some ability sometimes to pop and make the mid-range jumper, and he was hitting that tonight. I thought that my player of the game, though, was DeAndre Ayton. 20 points. 10 rebounds for D.A., 9 of 13 from the field. That is efficient as it gets. And all the Sun starters were ha, scored 14 points or more. That's going to win you a playoff game. Jay Crowder, 14 points, 5 of 13 from the field, 3 of 9 from 3. He continues to ride that that high that started in Game 4 against the Lakers. Mikhail Bridges, though, you can make an argument he was the player of the game as well. I just thought that Aiden being matched up with Jokic gives him that edge for me. 23 points for McHale, 8 of 12 from the field, that is 66%. 4 of 8 from 3, that's 50%, and 100% from the line, 3 of 3 to go along with 5 rebounds, 5 assists, and 2 steals. Suns defense, they have the best defensive rating in these playoffs, and they showed why tonight. CP3, by the way. Oh, my God. I almost forgot. CP3 took over this game in the fourth quarter. He was missing easy shots in the third, but that fourth quarter, he started coming off screens, getting into that mid-range area that he loves so much, getting uh, bigger guys switched on to him, and cooking. Then he made a three, then he got to the rim, and he had the defense in the palm of his hand. Chris Paul, controller of pace, controller of the game, Takeover. takeover player. CP3. 21 points, 6 rebounds, 11 assists. Thought he had a great game overall. 8 of 14 from the field. Devin Booker, not his best game in the world, but goddamn, he still shot efficiently. And you gotta give Aaron Gordon credit. He's a much better defender on Booker than anyone the Lakers had. He's gonna make life tougher for him, so he's gonna need a little more help from Chris Paul this series, but I think he will get that help as Chris Paul continues to get healthy. 21 points, 4 rebounds, 8 assists for Book. He did have 5 turnovers. That's one thing he's gonna look at film and try to clean up. But 8 of 12 from the field. And one of four from three, that's not great. But what I love is that he didn't fall in love with that three ball. Four of six from the foul line. The Suns shot 13 of 34 from three. So besides those early shots that I thought were a little chucky, they shot 38% overall and limited it. And they shot 17 of 20 from the foul line, 85%. And that was 14 more foul shots than the Nuggets got today. No player on the Nuggets shot more than two free throws in the game. They were five of six from the line. I like it because the refs aren't calling as many fouls. But if you're the Nuggets, you've got to go inside. You're making life too easy for Phoenix. Anyway, that's it for tonight's um, – for that one. Let's talk about the Clippers real quick. So, yeah, guys. uh, I can't believe it. We really did it. We made it through. But now the series – it it, it shifts. We've done nothing so far. This is where it comes down to. This is where – the season will either be considered a failure or a success. I can't believe we're, we're back. It's been a long year after that collapse. I've been here so much. Second round. And I always envision what's going to happen if we win and the celebrations and what I'm going to do. And every time I start thinking of that, we lose. And then I just think that we're never going to make it because it seems like a barrier that's hard. As I said in my video, Harder than climbing Mount Everest or jumping the Grand Canyon. We got another chance. The Utah Jazz, the scum. My least favorite team besides the Grizzlies all time. We've never lost. The Clippers have only lost to two teams multiple times in a playoff series. The Houston Rockets and the Utah Jazz. 97 and 2017. Obviously 97 was a year before I was bored. But I'm familiar with what happened. But that was the 97 Jazz. We we weren't even on their level. 2017, I was at all the home games. That was the only game seven that we've ever lost at Staples Center, or at home in general. And it stuck, it stuck to me. That was Chris Paul's last series as a Clipper, that was his last game as a Clipper. I want revenge, badly. And I know the players don't have that in their minds, because they didn't lose to the Jazz, but Paul George did in 2018. And they largely had the exact same team. Royce O'Neal, Joe Ingles, Rudy GoBitch, Donovan Mitchell. But the one part that scares me about this series. Mike Conley. Historic clipper killer. A thorn in my side and a thorn in my franchise's side since Memphis. It's going to be difficult. The Jazz have a lot more pick and roll threats. There's going to be a lot more to focus on than just Luka. They don't have the best player like Luka. There's not going to be one Luka. But we struggle with Donovan Mitchell in the pick and roll. We struggle with... Here's the thing about Zubots, guys. Zubat struggles with lob threats. I've said it all season. He struggles in that pick and roll with Mitchell and, and Gobert. Because when he steps up just an inch, that gives Donovan the room to throw that lob to go bitch. And we need to have a lot more Kawhi and Paul George guarding Donovan Mitchell. People said, oh, how do all these guards go off against the Clippers? Do you know why? Because Paul George and Kawhi weren't guarding them much in the regular season. It was a lot of Reggie, a lot of Bev, a lot of Kennard, you know? And we're going to see more Terrence Mann guarding Donovan Mitchell, I, I assume. So as long as we just put resistance on them over screens, we should. It'll be. It'll be. It won't be too bad. But here's my thing: if Zubat starts getting played off the court, this is where we need Surge. If we could really get Surge, our marquee signing in the off season, that we just would a playoff series without, mind you. So no excuses for Dallas this year. There was no. Oh, if Porzingis was there, we wouldn't. The Clippers would have lost in the first round. Yeah. Uh, all those same people that said that, mostly Laker fans, Clipper haters, were the same people saying Porzingis is trash right now, you inconsistent-ass motherfuckers. So, me. I said it last year that uh, that fool is not that good. So, uh, that's one thing, right? Another thing is this. So, the small ball lineup we used to beat the Jazz in our one victory over them this series... Uh, this season, I expect us to go to that small ball lineup with Mook and Batum at the five as well against them The only thing is we really need to keep them off that offensive glass No rebounds, no rings I said it in my vlog You saw a couple times the Clippers struggled with that this uh, last series with that small ball unit And GoBitch is a better rebounder than anyone that the Mavericks had. So that small ball lineup could be detrimental at times. So I think this is going to be a much tougher series. I think that this is going to be really difficult because we're coming off a grueling seven-game series that took everything out of us where Kawhi had to guard the best player and drop 30 points in the two last games while Utah has been basically resting for a week. They're going to have twice as many fans as we're going to have. And it's the second round. And I've been saying all season that the Utah Jazz, if there's a team that will beat the Clippers in the second round, it will likely be them. And here we are. I hope I'm wrong. Here's the thing. Whenever I start thinking that we're going to lose, though, that's when we win. So maybe if I expect the Jazz to win this series, which I do, sue me, Um, we're going to win. Do I think that we have a chance? Duh. Do I think that we should win? Duh. We're the better team than them. Let's put it Let me not sugarcoat it. We are the better team. We are the Clippers. So I don't know. It's going to be a great series. By the way, I want to just give my parting thoughts on the Dallas Mavericks. um, A great series. Uh, I have no real animosity towards the Mavs. I don't like them, though. I don't like this Mavs team. We played them in the playoffs twice. I'm, quite frankly, very sick of them. I don't want to see any more Luka Doncic 77 jerseys in the Staples Center as long as I live. Um, So screw the Mavs. Screw you Dallas fans. And screw all the people that came into my mentions talking trash about how they wanted to see us lose. You guys can suck it. We won. Screw the Mavs. Guess how many teams the Clippers have beaten multiple times in the playoffs? One, the Dallas Mavericks. Um, Maniac Lane, I re- please deal with those people in the chat right now, please. Anyway, um, so yeah, that's it for tonight, guys. By the way, for what does Dallas need to do this offseason? Um, I think that the this Rick Carlisle has completely lost the plot. And uh, I think that the system has become very LeBron-like. Balls uh, centered around one guy making all the plays and and everybody else being a spot-up shooter. And I told you guys, I preach this on this show all the time, that that style will only take you so far. And Porzingis, here's the thing, he sucks. He needs to take more accountability. He needs to get in the post. But he's not even being developed. You know what I'm saying? They're not trying to make him a better player. Luca doesn't he gets guys open shots, but he doesn't make guys that aren't spot-up shooters better. He's a Euro LeBron. He's a Euro LeBron. And right now that needs to change. Because when Luca doesn't have the ball, what happens? Somebody that's not used to running pick and roll that much is running it while Luca stands at half court. That doesn't that's not basketball. That's not that's not bad. That's pickup ball. And that doesn't work. And eventually, why did Luca get so tired out every second half? Because of that. You put the ball in that guy's hands all the time. He needs to be the one that makes, makes the winning plays. You can't expect those guys to make high-pressure shots if they're not touching the ball for a long time. I saw when Maxi got the ball in Game 7, every time he touched it, Trey Burke too. I'm like, I, the second they touched the ball, they're not making that shot. They're not making it because they haven't been touching the ball. They're human. That system, yeah, it works okay for a little while. It's not going to work to win championships. And here's the thing. they got to bring in guys that can help. Luka doesn't have a bona fide second option right now. Tim Hardaway Jr. is too streaky. He's not good inside the three-point line. Um, He's not very good at creating his own shot at all and nothing like his dad. And Porzingis is not being developed the right way. So, yeah, that's all I have to say about that. Bring in somebody to help Luka, but you got to change this system. Rick Carlisle has gone way too Gen Z bot. Way too Gen Z bot. So that's what you gotta do. That's what they gotta do. Anyway, that's it for me tonight, guys. Now we're gonna go to the live chat. Uh super chats turned on. Drop a dollar if you want. I'll be back live tomorrow after the Clippers and Jazz to the Dallas fans, the real ones. Good series, guys. This isn't a rivalry to me because we beat you twice. So like I don't really have any too much animosity. But um peace out, and I'll see you all tomorrow.